Greetings and welcome back to another session in our study on Survey of Theology. Uh, this is going to be lesson number nine today. We're going to talk about God the Holy Spirit, His indwelling and sealing. We're going to talk about His baptizing work, and, uh, and then we're going to talk about His filling ministry. So we will hit those uh, four topics today. Uh, now, this being lesson number nine uh, concludes the first part of this series of lessons because these are being recorded primarily for undergraduate students at Tyndale Theological Seminary. And so this course is Theo 2301. Uh, next time uh, I come back to uh, make another video, it will begin the next nine lessons, which will be for Theo 3302. And then there will be a third uh, class... Um, which will be Theo 4303. And so these are three courses taught at Tyndale Theological Seminary, and today's lesson uh, will close out the first course. So let's go ahead and get started with this. Uh, and again, I'm following major Bible themes uh, done by Dr. Lewis Perry Chafer and Dr. John Wolverd. <clears throat> and I'm also referencing uh, Dr. Charles Ryrie, from his basic theology, and then also Dr. Robert Leitner from his uh, Handbook of Evangelical Theology and other uh, Bible scholars as needed. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, so let's go ahead and get started in this. So in Scripture, we learn that the Holy Spirit is God. And we see him from the very beginning in Genesis 1-2, where it says, "...the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep." And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And so we see the Spirit of God very early on in Scripture. We also have Acts 5, 3, and 4, in which Peter is talking to Ananias, and he uh, poses the question, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then in verse 4, he says, You have not lied to men, but to God. So we learn in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is God, and that he always directs believers to think and act in a manner consistent with his holy character. Now, when we think about the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, <clears throat> we should realize that only a few persons uh, were actually selected uh, to receive the Holy Spirit or to have the Holy Spirit come upon them. And so this was not something that was uh, universal as far as like all believers go. It was just actually down to a select few. We can think, for example, in Exodus 31, where it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Holy Spirit, or I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, what's going on here? Well, uh, this was a craftsman. And this was a man who was going to uh, be crafting or making the articles that were to be used in the temple. The menorah, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and so on. And so he's going to be used by God. Well, the Spirit of God comes upon him, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, to give him wisdom and understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship. So for very practical uh, purposes to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for the settings and the carving of the wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And so 
here we see the Spirit of God coming upon this man. We also see in Numbers 11.25, it says, Now the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and he took the Spirit. Now this is going to be upon some of the leadership, uh, because Moses was trying to go it alone, and uh, he was overburdening himself. He was taking on too much responsibility and leadership, and so he needed to learn a lesson in delegation. And so he was directed to uh, appoint these 70 elders who were going to help share the load, the burden of responsibility. And, uh, and it says here, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and he took the spirit who was upon him and placed it upon the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but apparently this was a one-and-done deal, uh, because it says, But they did not do it again. So the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is coming upon these elders to help Moses in his leadership uh, responsibilities. We also see it in, <clears throat> in uh, Numbers twenty-seven eighteen, where the Spirit is given upon Joshua. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit of God, and lay your hand upon him. So correction here. So this was a man, Joshua, who had the Spirit, but again, recognizing that the Spirit of God uh, was only upon or in a select few persons, and not everybody. And uh, in fact, we see over in 1 Samuel sixteen thirteen, it says, Then Samuel took the horn and anointed him, this would be David, in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Now, David was already a believer, uh, just as some of these other men were already believers. And so their receiving the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, was for a specific task. Uh, and Dr. Merrill F. Unger uh, states on this issue, so again, let me go back and read this. So again, under the Mosaic Law, only a select few persons received the Holy Spirit, and that was conditioned on God's sovereign purposes. Dr. Merrill F. Unger uh, from the Unger's Bible Dictionary says, quote, In Old Testament times, the Spirit sovereignly came upon a few warriors, kings, prophets, and mighty men who were temporarily filled to perform some special task, such as Gideon, um, also Amasai, uh, Samson, and Saul. Now, Pentecost, he says, however, marked a new era in which every believer, no matter how poor, humble, or obscure, might be constantly filled with the Spirit. And this is the reason for the stress upon the infilling in Acts 2.4. Uh, Dr. Unger closes out here in his quote. He says, what warriors, kings, prophets, and mighty men then enjoyed only temporarily can now be enjoyed by every believer constantly, end quote. And so he's absolutely right, uh, where we have uh, people such as Gideon uh, in Judges 6.34, which says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. We have Samson, where it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Um, and then also uh, David. He has here Saul, but that's actually David. Now, under the Mosaic Law, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was conditioned upon holiness and could be forfeited uh, due to heinous sin. Uh, this is important to understand because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person in the Old Testament for a particular function, whether it was as a king to govern the nation, because he needed uh, the power of God, he needed the Spirit of God to strengthen him, to give him wisdom, to guide him uh, throughout his activity. 
This was also true of judges. And so losing the Spirit in the Old Testament times did not mean loss of salvation. That's not what it means. It meant that they lost uh, the divine enablement uh, that was necessary to function uh, for their specific task, what God called them to. And one can think, for example, of Samson, uh, who had a problem (laughs) with the ladies, and uh, eventually he broke his vows. He broke his Nazarite vows, uh, and, and this in particular with regard to the cutting of his hair. And so when that happened, uh, the Spirit of God left him uh, as a means of divine discipline. And so it says in Judges 16.20, She said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Now, this departure of the Lord, of the Spirit of the Lord, uh, was again not loss of salvation. Uh, What it was, was uh, divine discipline upon him. We can see another example of this in 1 Samuel 16, verses 14 through 16. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Again, this is not loss of salvation. This is loss of the Spirit of God, which enabled him to function as the leader Uh, within the nation to handle the responsibilities. And so it says the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. So he comes under divine discipline. And here is an example where the Lord uses a demon, an evil spirit, as a disciplinary agent. And then it says, uh, Saul's servants then said to him, behold, now an evil spirit from, uh, from from God is terrorizing you. And so on. But the point is, is that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. We also see this not happening with David, but David was under divine discipline and he was concerned about this. Over in Psalm 5111, in Psalm 5111, David, and here is his confession of his affair with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah. And so this is, uh, this is his uh, confession, it's his prayer. And in this place, he is coming before the Lord, and he says, he says, Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now David is, again, he's not in danger of losing his salvation or forfeiting his salvation. Again, what he's concerned about is losing the Holy Spirit, which again enabled him to function Uh, in his capacity as the leader uh, for Israel, which was a theocratic nation. But he says, do not take your spirit from me. And notice what he says to me, it says in verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He's not talking about salvation, he's talking about the joy uh, related to salvation. And, uh, And so that's what he's talking about here. So again, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was conditioned upon holiness and could be forfeited due to heinous sin. However, the removal of the Holy Spirit as an act of uh, discipline, again, did not mean forfeiture of salvation. Remember, Samson, who lost the Spirit, also came back and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and uh, restored his strength to him. Notice Judges 16, 28 through 30. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time. O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes, because after they captured him, they bound him, and they gouged out his eyes. 
And here Samson is in a pagan temple, and so he's asking for the Lord to strengthen him. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And apparently God answered his request and uh, gave him the strength that he needed uh, here in this particular situation to uh, kill these Philistines. Now, it meant his own death as well. It says, And he bent with all his might, so that the house fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. So again here we have... um, we have the Lord answering his prayer. We also see in 1 Samuel uh, 24.6 where David is talking about uh, um, uh, Samuel, not Samuel, uh, he's talking about Saul. And even though Saul has had the spirit taken from him, notice that twice David refused to raise his hand against Saul, uh, recognizing Saul as the Lord's anointed. And he says that twice in verse 6, and then down in verse uh, 10, he refers to Saul as the Lord's anointed. And so even though Saul has lost the spirit, he's still a believer. He is still regarded as the Lord's anointed. Uh, And we see it again in 2 Samuel 1, 14-16, where David refuses to stretch out his hand to kill Saul, even though he has opportunity on two occasions. Uh, referring to him again as the Lord's anointed. And then over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, here's here's what's interesting, is when you look at some people, some people would say, oh, well, you know, Samson was an unbeliever. Gideon, uh, who uh, was guilty of idolatry, uh, who had uh, created an ephod that became an object of worship, Even though he did this thing, he still regarded, Gideon himself is still regarded as a believer, uh, and so is Samson. So again, we want to realize that these people, even though they had their flaws, they were in fact believers and at times in their life modeled faith. Not perfectly. You don't see anybody that ever does it 100%. You don't find perfect people in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, "...there is not a righteous man on the earth who continually does good and who never sins." But even though Samson had his problems, he's still listed among those in what is called the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, along with some other men (laughs) who had some problems. Gideon, David, uh, I mean, uh, you're not going to find a perfect person, but still a believer. Now, during the church age, uh, the Holy Spirit convicts the unsaved about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so his ministry with regard to unbelievers right now is that he comes into the world, and uh, and this begins in Acts chapter 2, and convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And one sin in particular, from the Greek uh, noun hamartia, which is singular, uh, because they do not believe in me. And so with regard to the unbeliever, the specific sin that is mentioned uh, is that of unbelief that he is the Savior. So uh, let's move on in the notes here. So the indwelling, so we're, we're looking into the uh, church age, which is a distinct dispensation. Now, I'm going to be dealing with the subject of dispensations. There'll be a whole lesson just devoted to that. But uh, here we, we see a dispensational distinction with regard to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
So the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit for every believer was in fact an innovation that was future from the time of Jesus' ministry on earth. Uh, notice uh, that he says here in John chapter 14, and this is the night before his uh, betrayal and crucifixion, and this is his farewell address to the disciples until his resurrection. And he tells them, he's given them information about the coming church age. And he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, alas parakletos, uh, another helper of the same kind because the Holy Spirit is God. And he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him, uh, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Don't miss the use of that prepositional phrase there. So this was something that was an innovation. And, uh, and we see it again in John sixteen seventeen that I will send him uh, to you, uh, verse 13, but he, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So there were specific uh, aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that uh, were distinct, uh, that were future from the time in which he uttered these words. Now, we should realize that in the church age, all three persons of the Godhead indwell every believer. In John 14, 16, and 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Uh, here he says, um, and that he will be in you. But then in John 14, 20, he says, In that day uh, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So now we have the Spirit in the believer. We have Jesus in the believer. And we also have <clears throat> God the Father. In verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, notice the we here, we will come to him and make our abode with him. And so here we have all three members of the Trinity indwelling the believers. However, the Holy Spirit has a special ministry which began on the day of Pentecost, which began on the day of Pentecost. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus here talking to his apostles, uh, he says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, don't miss that. This, this was future at the time that Jesus said these words. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, after Jesus' ascension on the day of Pentecost, we know that that happened. In Acts 2, 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is the ministry that began in Acts chapter 2 when the church began in Acts chapter 2. Now, at a later time, Peter uh, remembers back to this event. And so the bapt you have to look at Acts 1, 4, and 5, where the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit was prophesied as a future event. Uh, that happens in Acts 2, but in Acts eleven fifteen 15 through 16, 
Uh, Peter here is recalling this event, and he says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, uh, that is, upon these Gentiles. Uh, The Holy Spirit uh, fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And he says in verse 16, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized uh, with the Holy Spirit. So when you look at Acts 1 and Acts 11, uh, those two reference points, it's future from Acts 1, it's past tense from Acts 11, and Acts 2 is the, is the central point. And so that becomes the point in which the church begins, and that begins, that is the point in which uh, this special ministry uh, of the Holy Spirit uh, began in the dispensation of the church age. And of course, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. for by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. And here the body is the body of Christ. This is the church, uh, which began to be formed on the day of Pentecost and will conclude at the time of the rapture. So the church will be removed. But that special identity of being part of the body of Christ uh, as a Christian, uh, belonging to the church, uh, began in Acts chapter 2. And again, we should always remember that the church is first an organism before it's an organization. Uh, as an organism, it consists of all believers who have been united to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection and are part of the body of Christ, which is the church. And so when the rapture occurs, all who are dead in Christ, all who died during the dispensation of the church age, uh, will be caught up, and we who are alive will be changed. But the church, as the church, will be removed at the uh, time of the rapture of the church. But it is, it, is, it is by means of the Spirit that we were all baptized into one body. Galatians three twenty six through 28 he says, For you were all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So at the moment of faith in Christ, a God the Holy Spirit then takes us and places us into the body of Christ. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And this is the baptism of the Spirit. And so this special ministry, which began on the day of Pentecost, will continue until the church is raptured to heaven. And we've already looked at passages uh, like John 14, 1 through 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, Titus 2, 13. Uh, is a rapture passage in which Paul is talking to Titus and he's talking about for us as Christians that we are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And notice he is our great God and Savior. Christ is both our great God, he is God, he is deity, and he is our Savior, but we're looking forward to that appearing and that is the uh, that is at the rapture. That is the rapture of the church. Quoting from Doctor Thomas Constable, he says the Holy Spirit of God is the only person with sufficient supernatural power to do this restraining. Talking about his restraining <clears throat> ministry. Well, let me go back to Second Thessalonians two seven, so I don't get ahead of myself. So in Second Thessalonians two seven, uh, Paul is talking about. Uh, future eschatological events, future prophetic events. And let me back up here to uh, verse 3, really. He says, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come 
unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of of destruction. Now, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, this is the Antichrist. This will occur after the rapture of the church. And Paul goes on, he says, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. He says, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And he says, and you know what restrains him, that is, restrains him from appearing, so that in his time he will be revealed. Now, it's since Satan does not know when the rapture will occur, it is commonly thought, and I think correctly so, that he must always have a man in the wings, uh, someone who could be that world ruler, that world dictator, that would be his uh, his man, the Antichrist. And so there's always somebody uh, waiting. But he says here, and you know what restrains him so that in his time he will, he will be revealed. And then he says in verse uh, 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Notice he says, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So don't miss that language. He who now restrains. So there is this restraining ministry upon evil in the world. And the restraining ministry also holds back the man of lawlessness from coming to, uh, to, to recognition and his rise to power. So what is it or who is it that restrains uh, this lawlessness uh, that is in the world. He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, I take this to be a reference to the Holy Spirit who is working in and through believers in the world. And so I think that at the time of the rapture, that ministry of the Spirit that began in Acts chapter 2 uh, ceases to exist or ceases to be at the time of the rapture. So there is a special ministry that the Spirit right now has in the world with regard to restraining sin and lawlessness in the world. I and mean, we think things are bad right now, but I'm here to tell you that uh, Christians are a restraining influence, and this because God the Holy Spirit is working in them and through them uh, to restrain sin in the world. And, uh, and we want to have that ministry. We want to be a force for good. And I realize that when I am learning God's Word and I am living God's Word, when I'm walking by faith, that I am part of the solution. I am part of the divine solution. And there is no greater solution than the divine solution, trust me. And so this is one of those things where, as a believer, uh, I realize that my walk with God matters. And your, and your walk with God matters. And as you live out your Christian life, uh, you are having a very positive influence. People are coming to faith in Christ if you're sharing the gospel. People are uh, advancing to spiritual maturity because you're communicating God's word to them. You're teaching them scripture. And so